Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another broadcast of Obstruction to Justice. I'm Ann Moles, and I am certainly excited about today. Yep, we got a lot of snow today. And you know, that's not the exciting part because I'm not a big snow person, but uh, someone was very kind to shovel my area mm -hmm. so uh i don't know who it was but uh i got eh, well i really don't know because some of the areas were shoveled but uh some of them weren't and down on my end i kind of have an idea about who it was but uh big shout out to the kind person that helped me in my little area they shoveled my driveway <laughs> Yes, snow, 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 the winter time. Now, I don't know whether or not the groundhog saw his shadow. I think he did, which means he is hunkered down for another six weeks. And that sounds about right. It is, uh, it is winter. Mm -hmm. So we can expect that uh, here in the greater Kansas City area. Sometimes Kansas City will show up. Uh, the weather just changes just like that. Yeah, it's kind of like that with Kansas City weather. But super, super, super. We are into, we are into the month, Black History Month. Wow, wow, wow. And I'm telling you, I am super excited. Like I say, every year, Black History Month, I am an African-American woman and I celebrate Black History every single day. Yes, I do. I am proud of my heritage as an African-American woman. And you know what? I'm hoping that as who you are, you're proud of your heritage as well. Uh, because here, the thing about it is that we're just the way that God made us, aren't we? And, uh, you know, we just want to give him glory. I do. I give God glory for being who I am and making me the woman that I am. I, I never wanted to be any anybody else. I just wanted to be me and I wanted to be the best person that I could be. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've learned to be that way because we are like influenced, aren't we? I know there's great influences out there when it comes to people. Uh, you have all different kinds of influences. Hollywood influences. You have uh, sports figure influences. Uh, you just have people influences. People that have uh, been in your life uh, for the time that you've been in your life. And, you know, uh, I just, for every person that has been in my life, as a positive African-American role model, I just give a big shout out to you. And some of them, we don't know who they are because they passed a long time ago. But then I can think of someone very dear to me 
my mother, mm-hmm. very dear to me. We, we, we don't know the struggles of that generation of person until we've lived it. And that right there, my mom is uh, in her 70s. Mm-hmm. And she came from and has come from a mighty long way. And she's lived her life on, on God's terms because she is a Christian woman. Uh, but we're, we're all growing in God too. But she's lived her life. And I just am grateful that she's overcome. So that is a, an African-American woman that has overcome. She'll have to tell you her story sometime. <laughs> yeah, she'll have to tell you tell you her story. Uh, maybe we'll get together and I'll uh, get permission and we'll write a story together. That would be super cool. But, you know, if there's anyone in your family that uh, that you can uh give a big hug to and and appreciate, I would suggest that you do that because here, this is what it's all about. It's about celebrating those that have gone on before us. It's about celebrating those that have been the influence in our lives. And, you know, that's one of the, another thing that I think of when I, when I think of the uh, Black History Month. Yeah. Uh, Black History Week, Black History Day. Mm-hmm. When I think about that, I think about all the great people and, of course, the movers and shakers in our community. Big shout out to all of the, I think, one of the, the most important movers and shakers in the African-American community are the, is the African-American, the African-American clergy. Yeah, I think that without the clergy, without God's people being on the battlefield and being within the communities, uh, we would not have had a chance then. I think God used the clergy back then, and he still uses the clergy today. So big shout out to all the clergy that are uh, participating and that are part of the African-American community. And of those that uh, hang out, the business owners that are still hanging out in the African-American community, not giving up, but participating and providing services in the African-American community. Big shout out to you as well. And uh, those that are in government, yeah, those that are in decision-making positions, the school teachers at every school district, hmm, whether you have accreditation or not, I know that's a challenge. And I think that there's the major school district in our greater Kansas City, Missouri area has uh, received their accreditation again. So that's a big plus. And, you know, we want to keep it. We want to support them uh, in all of what they do as well. And just say thank you and encourage them. Yeah, because part of that, we got some things coming down the pipe. (laughs) When it comes to the legislature, the Missouri legislature, not just in Missouri. I'll mention it here coming up, I'm sure, because it's going to be part of uh, the presentation. Uh, But... Uh, we're just uh, we're just thankful and grateful that uh, God has given us another opportunity to share. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's just jump right in, and I'm going to go ahead and share. Uh, let's uh, share this here. Share my uh, my screen here. We'll share this this project that I've been working on, and today we're gonna. 
you can't really talk about African-American history without mentioning one of the greatest Americans, whether African-American or other nationality in this great country, without mentioning the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was a young man that used his life, his voice to speak for those that weren't able to speak for themselves and who were will he was willing to to uh, do all he could for his people uh, and and poor people. I think that's something that that we don't really remember. We're uh, about our, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is that he spoke for all people, uh, whether you were African American, yes, most definitely, uh, but poor people. He spoke for poor people, uh, the working class people. He spoke for them and encouraged them. And of course, we remember when he lost his life, when he was speaking to the uh, the trash workers, those that help with trash in Memphis, and how he lost his life during that time when he was uh, speaking there at that motel. So uh, he poured out his life for for people and spoke up for people. We're just going to just go over some of his quotes. You know, we were talking about how people influence us and what what uh, who they were and uh, and what was it that he said? We know that I have a dream speech. We remember that. We remember at least the I have a dream speech. Maybe not so much of the words, uh, not so many much of the speech, but we do remember that he said and spoke during that time. Uh, but we're going to share a little bit about uh, his quotes and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. He really pressed his way into politics because that's kind of where things change. You know, you hear about politicians that come up and why do they want your vote? And is voting important? Well, of course it is. And it was so important then, and it's still important now to where they uh, draw laws and lines to district the the areas, the communities for representation in politics. And they influence the vote by getting on campaign uh, trade, the campaign trails and and running campaigns that that sound good and hopefully they will, people that run those campaigns that sound good, hopefully they will deliver too. That's what it's all about. But um, black suffragists, we don't hear very much about them. Uh, there's uh, an article out there that I just thought was dynamite, wonderfully written. And uh, it speaks of the five black suffragists that people that you wouldn't even have known. And we just need to remember people that have gone on before us. I say do the best we can. I, I do. I try to do the best I can to remember those people that have gone on. Now, you know, you wonder what a suffragist is. It's, it's a person that uh, advocates uh, the right to vote. 
they're just an advocate for the right to vote to, to be extended to a more people, not just uh, the European American male. And that's how it was in the beginning of this great country. In the laws, it was only uh, those that were allowed to vote were European American males, and then later on, uh, African American males and, and in the North were able to vote, and and uh, this, uh, but females were not able to vote, and so uh, African American women stood up for the right to vote along with European-American suffragist uh, women as well. So that's uh, that's what a suffragist is. And we're going to talk a little bit about Shelby County versus Holder and that decision, that 2013 decision that has rocked the communities um, in when it comes to the Voting Rights Act and what that decision in that Supreme Court decision in 2013, what it did. We'll talk just a bit about it because we're going to come back to it. Uh, this is going to be, to me, the year of the vote, the year of really focusing in on civil rights, the rights of all human beings, not, not just African Americans. And this is something that I think that we as Americans need to understand that civil rights, when you talk about civil rights, seems like the most, and yes, there is an important factor of understanding that civil rights and uh, traditionally have spoken on behalf of African Americans and minorities and women. Yes, that is very important. But civil rights is really, they're the rights of all people. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but uh, just think of it as that way. It's civil liberties. Civil, I mean, we live in a civil society. So uh, it speaks for the rights of all people that live in our society. So I, I want to include, mm -hmm. I want to include the idea, I want to suggest to include the idea that when we speak of rights in this country, that we don't get so bogged down with the idea of segregation and separating the idea of what a civil right really is. It's the right of all people in this country. All right. Let's look at the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, this quote is uh, from uh, a letter from a Birmingham jail. This is what this quote is attributed to and I did find this at the mlk50.civilrightsmuseum.org slash justice. So that's a, a place where it had it has uh, civil rights information, but this is where I got it from. And it says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly and that is the quote from dr martin luther king jr injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere and that goes back to my point you know, they want to separate. And I say they, media, and you know, some 
parts of the media, they want to, to separate, to make us think that uh, in civil rights is just for African-Americans, but that injustice is something that African-Americans only experience. That's not true. We as Americans, if one experiences it, that law is not just going to stand for the one. It's going to stand for everyone that lives in this country, in that community. You know, here's another quote. And this was from the address at the Youth March for Integrated Schools on eight, the 18th of April, 1959. Now, I got this from the kinginstitute.stanford.edu from the King Papers. Okay, so we're sourcing this information to make sure that it comes from a credible source. And this is from Stanford University. I believe they have a good name. But it says, commit yourself to the noble struggle for equal rights. You will make a greater person of yourself a greater nation of your country, and a finer world to live in. Mm -hmm. Sounds good to me. Sounds super good to me. And it makes sense. Uh, equal rights for uh, yourself, you want the same, you want the, the right, good rights for yourself and others, but when you think of it, it, it it's not just for yourself. It, it, you want equal rights for others, those that are in your community as well, because we, we're all tied together. We're all, we all live in this great country as Americans, in the United States of America. All right, let's look at this one. Now, this one is from the Montgomery story. It was an address delivered at the 47th, the 47th annual NAACP convention in San Francisco, California. And it's uh, dated that it was given June 1956. Now, this is also from the King Institute at Stanford, at the Stanford University Research and Education Institute, okay? It says, now I realize that there are those all over who are telling us that we must slow up, but we cannot afford to slow up. We have a moral obligation to press on. We have our self-respect to maintain, but even more, we can't afford to slow up because of our love for America and our love for the democratic way of life. We must keep moving. We must keep moving. Mm -hmm. So because of our democracy, if, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. If it's good for the one, then it's good for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So and, uh, when we're talking about injustice and things that went on and that go on during that time, those times, uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used his voice and spoke up to remind people that were, who were saying, slow up, you know, you're moving too fast. Well, how, how slow or how fast can or should we move if 
if I can't breathe, how quickly should you fix it? If there's injustice and people are dying, well, how quickly should you fix it? You know, and that was uh, the question. Slow up, how, why? You know, we have to press on and keep moving. All right, good, good. Now, this one is a slide. This is a slide that is uh, a picture. It's an image of Dr. King shaking the hand of President, then President, Lyndon Bain Johnson. And uh, it is sharing this moment. And it, we're sharing and talking a little bit about what the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is all about. And it, it is to protect the right to vote. Now, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 offered African Americans a way to, to get around the barriers at the state and local levels that had prevented them from exercising their 15th Amendment right to vote after it was signed into law by LBJ, that's President Lyndon Bain Johnson. Congress amended it five more times to expand its scope and offer more protections. This law has been called one of the most effective pieces of civil rights legislation ever enacted by the Department of Justice. Now here's the clincher, clincher. This is the, the, big, the big issue with the Shelby County versus Holder case in 2013. And it says it's gutting by the decision in Shelby County versus Holder in 2013 has led to more restrictive voting laws in at least seven states. So where there was uh, the protection, now one thing about the 1965 uh, Voting right, Rights Act is that it was set for a time and it, it's set to where it's to be revisited. And that is an issue with me. I do have an issue with that. And people need to look at, into that. And I think that they need to consider, legislation needs to be considered as far as why within this Voting Rights Act, if things are still oppressive, if we're still uh, experiencing um, different levels of brutality, different levels of discrimination, uh, whether it's social discrimination, social injustice, issues, institutional racism and discrimination um, on the economic level and other levels. If, if these things, since these things still exist, then why would it need to be revisited? Okay. I think that there should be something put in place that is permanent. Uh, not just something that needs to be revisited. It needs to really go in to the laws to where uh, are we reconsidering laws that are put in place to make life equal for all Americans because of the history of America. Now, if America was not first founded on discrimination and slavery, then this wouldn't be needed, it wouldn't be necessary. I think that even within the, if the laws had correctly 
accounted for and allowed for all Americans, whether they were uh, minority or white, I'm saying uh, Native American, uh, that they're not even a part of it. I mean, it, it even goes deeper than that. Uh, Native Americans weren't even uh, considered even in the, the Constitution. Um, but even as African Americans, if all Americans were on the same playing level playing field in this race, then um, there wouldn't be a race issue. Yeah. So if the Constitution in the beginning had addressed and, and made uh, the right decisions when it came to slavery and women and voting and and property and who was going to get what. They divided this country up, divided it up and said who was going to actually do the work and, and how was it going to get done and whether you were slave or incarcerated or what. I mean, they, they put it in there. Well, since it was in the Constitution and since it was misrepresented, voting was misrepresented in the Constitution in the beginning, it should be fixed, not to the point to where it needs to be revisited. So that's my take on it. So that's what happened to Shelby County versus Holder in 2013. It led to more restrictive voting laws in at least seven states. And we're going to get down to the state of Missouri. I'm going to look at a map too. It's going to be a little bit more uh, that we're going to do more research and share that with you. Now let's look at the other good part. <laughs> This, uh, this article was written by Lakshmi Gandhi. Now, she originally wrote it in, in August, on August the 4th, 2020, and then updated the information March 1st, 2021. And this article can be found at history.com slash news slash Black Suffragist 19th Amendment. So if you go and, and look at it, you'll see it. And the article is Five Black Suffragists Who Fought for the 19th Amendment and Much More. Obtaining the vote was just one item on a long civil rights agenda. And of course, you get to see this uh, beautiful picture of this beautiful African-American woman in this hat. And that's kind of what they wore back in the day, for real back in the day a long way back in the day. So uh, this beautiful picture of her in this hat and her, looks like it was wintertime, a nice winter coat and a, and a feathered looking uh, scarf. All right. Now, the first person here featured uh, that she wrote about or that was written about uh, one of the black uh, suffragists during the time was Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. And she lived, uh, was born 1825 and uh, passed in 1911. And it says that at a time in America when the majority of black people were enslaved and women were rarely encouraged to have political opinions, much less share them in public, Frances Elkinwick Watkins Harper became a genuine celebrity as an orator, second only to abolitionist Frederick Douglass in terms of prominent African-American writers of her era, 
the poet, essayist, and novelist frequently went on speaking tours to discuss slavery, civil rights, and suffrage, and donated many of the proceeds from her books to the Underground Railroad. What a great American. Hmm? What a great American. And she's standing um, in this picture for some 19th century look at Looks like this was from 1898, and this uh, photograph here is from the Library of Congress uh, that features Francis Ellen Watkins Harper. You know, when, when you look at what was done, this was another person that poured out and used their voice. You know, we want to use as Americans, as African Americans, as Americans, we want to use all of the gifts and talents that we have. I would suggest you do it. To have a fulfilled life, use all of the gifts and talents that God has given you. I sure would. Yeah. Now, this next picture is Mary Ann Shad Carey. And her birthday, uh, she was born 1823 and uh, passed on in 1893. Okay, so... Mary Ann Shad Carey, whose parents used her childhood home as a refuge for fugitive slaves, became the first Black woman in North America to publish a newspaper. The, the provincial freemen in which she fearlessly advocated for abolition. After helping recruit Black soldiers for the Civil War and founding a school for the children of freed slaves, she taught school by day while attending law school at night, becoming one of the first Black female law graduates in the United States in 1883. When the suffrage movement gained steam in the 1870s after the 15th Amendment granted the vote to Black men, she became an outspoken advocate activists for women's rights, including the right to cast a ballot. So she again used her voice in, uh, for the cause of suffrage, the right to vote. All right, Mary Ann Shad Carey. She's a very pretty woman as well, had one of those old school do's and uh, they were modest. They covered up and put on some clothes. And this also is an image from her library and archives. And this is Canada, it's from Canada. So she did a lot. I wrote a newspaper. Oh my goodness. Published a newspaper, recruited soldiers for the Civil War, uh, founded a school for children of freed slaves, taught school, went to law school, graduated. <sighs> wow. She did a lot with her life, didn't she? Super cool. Here's another suffragist, Mary Church Terrell. Now she was born in 1863 and she passed in 1954. Okay, so she uh, was one of the first black women to earn a college degree and she pushed out of the mainstream suffrage movement. She was pushed out of the mainstream suffrage movement by white leaders. 
uh, black suffragists through the 1800s founded their own clubs in cities across the U.S., which is not uncommon. Hmm? Now, and I will, I'm going to stop right there because that's important to know. Uh, you do your best to participate, but if they're not going to let you participate, then you do what you're called to do anyway and set it up and do what you need to do. So they founded their own clubs in cities across the U.S., along with church-based organizing. The club movement was the foundation for such for so much activism by Black women in their communities, says Jenkins. So this is an important thing, uh, church-based organizing. Uh, we were already gathered together in faith back in the day, right? So why not come and use that platform now? Uh, they have separation of church and state. There's a lot now when it comes to, to that. And you, you can kind of see that in a way when they holler separation from church and state for whatever reason um, that they're using as it, that statement to be. But it says along with faith, with church-based organizing. So the church does have a big responsibility to, number one, the church's responsibility is to minister to the souls of men and women. And we're talking about mankind. So minister to the souls of men and salvation of mankind. That's the first, to get that word out and minister uh, but in that, after we have, and I say we as mankind, as once we've gotten it together with the Lord, then it's our responsibility to make our surroundings better. So, you know, that's the church-based organizing. Uh, the club movement was the foundation for so much activism by Black women in their communities, says Jenkins. So to, to be active in your communities uh, I think that that's something that we're missing. We've missed it and we're missing. I don't really hear much about um, community organizers. You'll have some of the some of those that get on some of these calls uh, once we hear about uh, shooting and killings getting out of control and all that. A few people will get on these calls and but we don't hear much about organizing community leadership and groups much anymore. And that's something that I think we as African-Americans need to do. We need to get back in our communities and start participating in our communities and let, let the clubs and organizations be known. Uh, with the creation of the National Association of Colored Women, so the NACW, in 1896, suffragist Mary Church Terrell and co-founder Stephanie St. Pierre Ruffin became instrumental in consolidating Black suffrage groups across the country. Their agenda went beyond women's enfranchisement, addressing the issues of job training, equal pay, educational opportunity, and child care for African Americans. Um, this was in the 1800s. Hmm? This was 1896. Now, 
we're still hearing the agenda, this agenda for this suffrage movement, these clubs that Mary Church Terrell participated in, Black suffrage groups across the country, their agenda went beyond women's enfranchisement, addressing issues of job training. Wow. Equal pay, educational opportunity, and child care for African Americans. Okay, so I think that if we come together, we can come up with some type of solution. And I would say outside of the federal government. Yeah, outside of the federal government. Maybe if we go there, Yes, laws will set us up, make sure that we monitor the laws and what's being passed, because we're going to go there, and I'm going to show you that. But let's also come together in our communities and come up with community solutions and ways to where we can make our communities better. Okay, Nanny Helen Burroughs. 1879 to 1961. In more than 200 speeches she gave across the country, educator, feminist, and suffragist Nanny Helen Burroughs stressed the importance of women's self-reliance and economic freedom. A member of National Association of Colored Women, the National Association of Wage Earners, and the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, she saw voting as crucial, as a crucial tool of empowerment, an extension of her lifetime commitment to educating African-American women. One of her lasting achievements was to launch and run the National Training School for Women and Girls in Washington, D.C., we might come back to that. I want to see where that national training school, how was it, has it evolved? This is, um, she launched it. So we'll go back and take a look and see where, where that is now. But she was an educator, Nanny Helen Burroughs. All right. And of course, the great Ida B. Wells. Mm -hmm. She was born in 1862 and she passed in 1931. In addition to being one of the most prominent anti-lynching activists and respected journalists of the early 20th century, she owned two newspapers. Ida B. Wells was also a strident supporter of women's voting rights. In 1913, Wells, one of the founders of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, that's the NAACP, that's what we hear about now. She co-founded the Alpha Suffrage Club, Chicago's first women, Af first African-American suffrage association. The club was notable for its focus on educating black women about civics and its advocacy for the election of black political officials. Hmm, this was 1913. Yeah, that was uh, a while back. Come on. But Wells and her peers often faced racism from the larger suffrage movement. 
when she and other black suffragists tried to join a national suffrage march in Washington, D.C. in 1913, movement leader Alice Paul instructed them to walk at the back end of the crowd. Wells refused. Either I go with you or not at all, she told organizers. I'm not taking this stand because I personally wish for recognition. I'm doing it for the future benefit of my whole race. Now, this is that article I'm telling you about here at history.com news black suffragists 19th amendment this is the article and ida b wells uh, there's some information out there on her and i think there was a movie that was mentioned she was a journalist a suffragist and progressive activist well progressive see terms kind of change a little bit y'all uh i guess meaning before her time but um Ida B. Wells, and this uh, was it, this image and picture of her, R. Gates slash Halton Archive, Getty Images. That's where that picture comes from. Now, as we talked about Shelby County versus Holder, now, what uh, that decision in Shelby County was speaking of, and we talked about it in 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court walked back part of the Voting Rights Act when it ruled in a 5-4 vote that constraints placed on certain states and federal review of states voting procedures were outdated. In the wake of Shelby County versus Holder decision, Several states have enacted laws limiting voter access, including ID requirements, limits on early voting, mail-in voting, and more. Now, the thing about this decision, uh, when we're talking about one of the things that the Civil Rights Act of 1965 did, okay, was that it limited what states could do with about voting. Uh, we're looking at Jim Crow laws. We're looking at laws that were set in place in these Southern states. Now, these Southern states that were covered as whole uh, by the section, section five. So these are the states here. You're looking at uh, Texas, you're looking at Louisiana, uh, Alabama, Georgia, and you're looking at uh, South Carolina and some of the counties that were covered in the townships in Virginia, California even. Now, the very day that the decision was made, now what it was saying is that those restrictions, those constraints on those states that were known to be racist and discriminatory against people, hindering people from being able to vote like a poll tax. You had to pay money to vote, a tax to vote. Uh, they even had learn, uh, reading. If you couldn't read, you couldn't vote. There were things in place to hinder 
people from voting. Okay. And the very day that the decision uh, was made, Texas chose to implement its voter ID law, which had been previously founded to be discriminatory. Since then, many states have followed Texas example by enacting laws that have made it harder for voters, particularly voters of color, to access the ballot box. I, I, as far as voter ID, now we're hearing you get big, big likes when you say, okay, I'm in favor of showing an ID to vote. And we're going to get into this a little bit more. Showing an ID, there's all different ways and all different types of IDs, but I think it goes beyond uh, a person of color. I think it's more of an age thing too. Tell me how many 18 to 30-year-olds you know have uh, stayed at a particular address for a long period of time. Yeah, or uh, don't they move more frequently? I believe so. So it's long, uh, along with the voter uh, ID, then it re will require voters where voters have limited options of the types of IDs that they can use. So that type of ID that you could use, it's going to be limited now. So the ID was there, but what kind of identification? It'll make it harder to get on or stay on voter registration rolls. Well, how about now? Uh, that role, that voter registration role, you may be in one county and then you think you're still in that county and you go vote at that voting place you were registered at, you got the letter in the mail, and you're going to that voter place, but then you find out that it was moved. Mm -hmm. So you're going to make it harder to get or stay on voter registration rolls, consolidate or close polling places with little or no notice to voters. And that's the, uh, the next point. So if I know that I'm going to, I voted at this one polling place, and it's time to vote, I'm going to go back to that same vote polling place to vote. Well, when I get there, and this has happened to me recently <laughs> in, in the past couple of years, because I vote every election, no matter what type of voting <laughs> is going on. And I went to the old poll, the poll that I was used to going to for my area, come to find out they consolidated or they moved it to the high school. And then there's a couple of places within the high school area, which high school, which middle school. It was very confusing. And it took me a while to get to the place where I was supposed to vote. I had to make a phone call to find out where I was to vote. So if you're consolidating and they have the right to do that, that's part of what this, this uh, legislation says, that it was, it's making it harder. They can close the polling places, consolidate them, make it easier to remove voters from voter rolls. So all of this was what was happening prior to the 1965 Voting Rights Act. That's why the African-American community voted, fought so hard to get it in place, to have President Johnson sign it, because all of this was happening. They would go to vote and we know that people died for the right to vote. People were being killed. 
And Ida B. Wells, even during that time, even before uh, it was time to vote, where they had the right to vote, African-Americans had the, the right to vote, there was lynching and things that she spoke out against, murders. Well, it didn't stop. There was still a lot of terrorism that went on in the African-American communities to keep them from voting, to keep African-Americans from voting. So that's why the laws were put in place. And what Shelby County versus Holder did, it said, oh, never mind, those are outdated. How can legislation be outdated when you're still experiencing discrimination and racism in a country that had never written in the rights for people to vote, all people within that country to vote? You're going to need that. There's, there'll never be an outdated scenario. Never will. If these co communities, if these states had a history of racism, we're talking about Texas, Louisiana, we're talking about all of the southern states. Hmm? So if they had a history, then we need to know that, look, this is, this is going to be for a while. And we're not looking at, this isn't a, an issue that outdated, say, three, five hundred years ago. I mean, our country isn't even that old. Yeah, so big problems, big problems with that. And we're going to come back and look at that case and look at some legislation. Now, I do want to show the Missouri House of Representatives, the Missouri house.mo.gov has a website out there like most most states do state leg legislatures do and this one i mean it's it's a website kind of old school but it's a website and out here on the website uh you can see you can see where they uh you can actually look up legislation so you can look up what's going on, what are they voting on, legislation that's coming down the pike, what's been presented, and what stage it's going to. So if you're interested in going out there to the house.mo.gov, you can do some searching. You can click on that legislation blue button there and do some searching one different legislation that is being presented to the Missouri House for this year. Okay, that's just good to know. And I think that if you live in the state of Missouri and you're interested in what's going on in the state of Missouri concerning voting, go out there. We're going to be presenting some things that are going on, what's been presented to the House of Representatives in order to push through, push the vote through concerning voting. We're going to talk about it. All right. Now let's look at, of course, Dr. Gina Ross. Uh, Dr. Gina Ross is an African-American woman who is running for the U.S. Senate seat for Missouri that will be represented in the United States Senate. And there are two seats. And she's running for the seat that Roy Blunt is going to be giving up. He doesn't want to continue on to run another term. 
and she is running for this seat. Now she's been endorsed by several African American uh, publications, but I would suggest that you go out to www.rossforussenate.com and check out her website. Check it out. She's got a lot of great things out there. Her platform information is out there. And she has a video of where she's spoken about issues that are, she, or that she's running on concerning you know, those platform platform issues are out there. And you know, she keeps it up to date. One thing about uh, this website, this woman, is that she does speak for all people. And that's something that she mentions. And you'll get a chance to check that out and see and hear her tell her story as well. You can also donate. Now, it takes money. It takes money to make, make things go. And I believe we talked about how uh, the other candidate, the other U.S. Senate person that's representing the state of Missouri, how they already have money in the bank to uh, to run the care campaign, run their campaign moving forward. So when it's time for the vote for him, he's gonna, he's got some money. And I would say that as an African-American woman and a person that believes in the right of all Americans, to, the right to vote, and we just looked at the history of suffragists. This position, the U.S. Senate, there have only been two other African-American women that have been part of this U.S. Senate. And one of them was uh, uh, Kamala Harris. Now, she's vice president now, which means there are no African-American women that represent a seat in the U.S. Senate. And uh, there have only been two in the history of the country. And now there aren't any. And this brave woman is willing to use her voice. She's willing to use her voice and speak up for all Americans, representing the state of Missouri. Speak up for all Missourians and provide representation that will support their rights as citizens in the state of Missouri. Voting is one of the, one of the um, key points that she does talk about. And I would suggest that as a young person, as a young person, get ready to vote. We're going to try to walk you through uh, the process of getting, getting ready to vote, regi voter registration, and see if we can skip and leap over some of these issues that have been put in place and they're voting on some of these uh, to be put in place so that you won't be caught off guard when it comes to voting. You'll have your registration intact. You'll have your ID intact. Ah, there's a lot, right? So you'll have things intact so that when it comes time to vote, you'll know what, which poll. Let's hope. Now, I thought I knew too, but let's hope that they don't change the poll in the middle of the game. Uh, excuse me, in the middle of the time to vote. All right. <laughs> All right. So 
vote for Ross uh, for U.S. Senate. And support Black businesses, support African-American businesses in the communities where they are and uh, do your best, I would say, to do that. And that's what I try to do as well. All right. And of course, if you need any support when it comes to training, uh, contact ASBNC Training and Consulting and go to www.asbnc.com. And uh, we'll, we'll hook you up. There's some classes out there that are going on now that are pretty fun. And uh, if you don't see a training module that you're interested in, as far as training and support, something that you need, contact us. Go ahead and contact us and uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do to get that going for you. All right. What an evening. We talked a lot. We talked a lot about the suffragists, the people that spoke out in favor of voting rights for all people in the United States of America. And uh, do your best. I say that these people, they gave a lot. We read about all of what they've done what they did with their lives and these quotes that dr king mentioned still take them to heart but they did a lot with their lives and i think that one of the greatest things that we could do as far as the thank you we could give our creator is to use our life to give back to what he created to make it a better place and to use the gifts that he's given us. That's the greatest gift that we could give back to him, I would say. So do your best to do that. And, um, you know, it's all good. It's all good. Hopefully you'll continue to have a great rest of your month. Focus on the achievements of, of others and be inspired so that you yourself can achieve those great goals that are a blessing to you and as well as your community. I would do that. All right. Well, I always say, take care. And if the Lord says the same, we'll see you next time. Justice. 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 Justice now.